One Hope Church. Good morning, good morning. Who this morning agrees it's the Lord who can make the blind see and that we need Him every hour. Amen? All right. We've got it again there. We've got another one. There we go. So, it's good to see you all here this morning. It's cool to have, um, you know, people watching on, on Facebook, but also wonderful just to have people um, in their vehicles uh, um, together in the same parking lot. Super thankful, again, for um, Horizon Physical Therapy letting us use their space, and uh, we appreciate it so much. Um, but if you would share it online, then that is great. Uh, last week, a lot of people shared, and the message reached um, a lot more people. You might not think it makes much of a difference or it's that big of a deal, but you know, one person watching um, that wouldn't otherwise can, can change somebody's life. Um, so it's not hard to hit that share button, and, and don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus that we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So uh, we're in John chapter 9. And we have a new scene here, and the whole chapter is one scene. It's not a super long chapter, but we're going to tackle the whole chapter because it's a narrative. It's one scene, one picture, and we need to get the whole thing. Um, so let's go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump right into that. So Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We pray, Lord, that this morning uh, you would encourage um, our hearts um, in you, God, and in your word, we pray that you would see your word, that we would we would understand it, that you would open up um, eyes uh, spiritually, God, so that we could see you more clearly. But we pray that, that people would know you fully through your son, Jesus. Um, we thank you again for your word. And again, help us, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So it says this, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, We're going to stop there for a minute because we need to really have this scene and and understand a couple of things about uh, the mindset of of people then and and sometimes that mindset is the same or different today and we'll talk about that for a minute but you know the question is ultimately you know why are things not the way that they should be why are things not um, perfect why isn't everyone you know healthy Uh, you know what's the reason um, for, for all of that um, to begin with. Now, to really have the answer to the question, we have to go back um, to the first three chapters of Genesis where you see God created you know, the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and he put, um, he, you know, he, he breathed life into, into Adam, and he made humans unique and distinct from the rest of his creation, um, and everything was good. Everything was, you know, without defect, without problem. That's not how it is now, so what happened? Well, that was that that first, you know, rebellion of our first parents, 
um, Adam and Eve who rebelled in the garden and, and took the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to take from. And they, they, they fell um, into sin and therefore we have a fallen world that just has a certain amount of problem in it all the time. Back in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned, you wouldn't have something like COVID-19. You wouldn't have malaria. You know, you wouldn't have cancer. Um, you know, you wouldn't have those sorts of things. But now there are consequences for living in a fallen world where the scripture says that even, you know, creation itself groans. So, and, 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 you know, longs to be, to be free, really. So we have that general consequence of, of sin, but then also in the Old Testament scripture, uh, and, and I think it's important here to remember, you know, who's asking the question, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? It's not the Pharisees that are answer, asking this question. It, it, you know, it's, it's not people who were, you know, opposed to the way of God and to the, to the work of God. It was, you know, those who were, you know, following Jesus, his disciples asked this question. And this is one of these really important things that beca- just because, uh, you, you know, somebody becomes a follower of Jesus doesn't mean they automatically see everything the way they should see them. They don't see, you know, the totality of all truth just because they, you know, made a, a, you know, a profession of faith and God has changed their, their heart and lives. Yes, that is huge and it is, you know, when it happens, but that doesn't mean that in every situation we're going to see everything correct as God sees it. And we need to be reminded of that, you know, today, like we are, are fallible in our perspectives. And we need to ask God for wisdom and, and help and to continue to grow in knowledge um, and understanding of God's ways. And one of the best ways to do that is to ask questions, which is what the disciples did. It's good that they asked the question because then their misunderstandings could be dealt with. Now, where did they get that understanding from? Did this man sin or his parents? Well, they knew, you know, that there's natural consequences for for sin, right? There's natural consequences for sin. And we know this in our world today. Um, if someone drinks a lot of alcohol and, and ruins their liver, that is a natural consequence for a life of drunkenness. Right? So there's a consequence for the sin. That's a hard consequence to deal with. We also know, I mean, the Old Testament even talks about generational sin and sin being passed from generation to generation. And particularly, there can be consequences that are passed on. You know, we, you know, the, our society, you know, gives a lot of information on, on billboards and, and, and in advertisements and different things saying, hey, you know, ladies, when you, you know, get, get pregnant, please don't don't do drugs. Don't don't be drinking. Well, well, why? Because what the mother does while that little one is in her body can affect that little one's life even permanently in a, in a, either a 
a negative way or a positive way. So the positive thing is eat healthy, take your prenatal vitamins, do the you know take care of yourself, like do the things that you should do. Why? Because that little one is dependent on decisions that the the, the mom is making. And so we know that there are natural things of, of that nature. Now the disciples here, so they're viewing it. You know, Rabbi did this. You know, so so why was he born blind? Was did it had his parents done awful things? And this is God's judgment on on this on him, or you know, was it his own sin? Which is an interesting question because it says he was blind. From birth. Now, maybe the disciples didn't have that full information or understanding that Jesus had. Jesus knew the man was, was blind from birth. Maybe the disciples didn't fully understand that. Or maybe they thought, well, God knows everything and he knew the sins the man was going to commit and went ahead and judged him for it and he was born blind. Don't know exactly their thoughts. That could have been their thoughts, but that's a little bit of um, you know guesswork on our part. But in either case, they were like, well, it's either his parents' fault or his fault. But then Jesus gives a fourth alternative to the three things that we've already talked about. Because we've already talked about the natural consequences of living in a fallen world that can affect any of us. We've talked about the sin of our parents. We've talked about our individual sins. And in any case, you know, one of those could be the correct answer. But there's also a fourth thing. And this one, Jesus gives. It says... It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What Jesus is saying here is that God had a, a greater purpose that they couldn't understand, and that this, this man was born blind so that the work of God could be glorified in his life. Now, again, you, we have to be careful. You can't extrapolate that to every person born blind in the world. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's talking about this specific instance and this specific man, and this is why. Because there was a plan here. God knew he was going to be blind. He would be able to help this man. And then there's some other things that are going to happen here that we're going to read about. But the key thing that I want us to grab hold of this morning is that it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And there's something very fundamental and key that we need to understand about God and about us is that God is the key character of the story. That all of this is about God and God's glory. Creation from the beginning, that's about God and God's glory. Do we understand that? Creation is about God and God's story. Redemption is about God and God's story. Jesus comes as Savior and as King. That is about God. The, 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 the point... The, the good news, let's talk about the gospel for a second. The good news is that though we have rebelled against God, and though we are fallen and lost in our sins, that God, for His glory and out of His abundant love for us, sends Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and that He is Savior, 
and that he is king, he is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the king, that he's going to return and that he is going to reign forever and ever and ever as a holy and just king. The point of the story is that Jesus is going to reign forever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. And that is good news. That is the gospel. That is good news if you believe it and participate in it. It has the potential to be good news for every person. Because God is the justifier of those who have have faith in Jesus. But God's glory is still going to be had. Whether you or I participate in that in any way, shape, or form or not. God's still going to have His glory. Jesus is still going to be king and he's still going to to reign it is good news if you participate if you participate in it it is not such good news if you rebel against it it's good news still for the world but it's not good news for you as an individual if you rebel against the goodness of God and his gospel. We are beneficiaries, when we believe in Jesus, we are beneficiaries of the good news. We are beneficiaries of the gospel. We are beneficiaries of the story that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But again, make no mistake about it. With or without us, Jesus is still King. It's his story. It's about him. And and we have to be careful that we don't get things turned around in the gospel to where we become the key central figures. Jesus is the key central figure. Don't, we can't afford to make that mistake about it. Verse 4, We must work the works of Him who, who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When He had said this, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to His eyes, that's to the blind man's eyes, and said to Him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes open? And he answered, This man who is called Jesus made play and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now, that's a pretty cool scene, right? So we see the scene that's a, um, you know, one of those, if you've, if you've grown up in church, it, it can be a familiar scene. If not, it's a new scene for you. It's, it, I, you know, amazing to hear it, even for the first time. But Jesus, you know, imagine him 
going and spitting on the on the ground and and forming clay with it and putting it on the man's eyes. Now, he didn't have to do all of that. He could have just said, as he's you know doesn't you know other places. Hey, just he just said you can see, and the man would have seen. But again, this is about the glory of God and the story, and it's also for a purpose for this man to understand who Jesus is. And it's going to be wider of something of this man. What if the guy had just said, well, that was odd. Um, the, the, I've heard of this rabbi, this teacher, um, Jesus, and he, and, uh, and he just put mud in, he just put mud over my blind eyes. That's kind of weird. Uh, I guess I'll just sit here and, and beg some more because I need some money. And what... You know, Jesus did this in a way that would require him to go and do something that would require him to take a step of of faith to believe that when Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, that if he did that, you know, there would be a benefit in his life, that something was going to radically change that day for him, that he would be able to see. And so he went in obedience. He went in obedience. Friends, brothers and sisters in Jesus, this morning, I I, want to just talk about that word obedience just for a minute and just remember that really, you know, in in life we have all sorts of metrics, right? In in most people's work, there's an evaluation, there's there's some statistics, there's, uh, there's some metrics that say whether you're doing a good job or not. You know, in school, when our kids are students, you know, there's metrics, right? To let us let us know, are they learning the material they're supposed to be learning? You know, it's called tests. And, and they take them, and they get a metric, and, you know, then you know, like, how well we're, we're obtaining the material. If it's, again, if it's proper tests and done well and all that stuff, right? It gives some information. Same thing at work. We have metrics, but in the life of a disciple of Jesus, there's only one metric that matters. For an individual, there's only, for a disciple of Jesus, there's only one metric that matters. For a church, there's only one metric that matters. You might have a clue already what that metric is. That metric is obedience. Obedience to Jesus is the only metric that matters. You know, churches today, they want to have metrics of, well, today, especially COVID-19, they want to have metrics of how many people watch the service online. They want to have metrics of, you know, how's the giving. They want to have metrics of, you know, what what's the number of professions of faith? What's the number of baptisms? What's the number of this or of that? And yes, there are some numbers in the Bible. Numbers are given. We see in the book of Acts, you know, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to their number. There was about 120 in the upper room. Now after the day of Pentecost, you have over 3,000. You have this exponential growth in the church. It's a work of God. It's a move of God. It's something to be celebrated. But that metric was never to be given in terms of adding to the church at the expense of compromising truth. Jesus never said go and teach a different gospel so that your metrics can be better. The apostles didn't say, 
hey, let's see just, you know, what methods can we use to get the maximum number of, of people and we can change the message if we need to. That wasn't the ultimate metric. There's one metric that really matters. It's obedience. That's the metric that matters. And we need to be faithful to that metric. The metric of obedience. The measure of obedience. Because ultimately, for the followers of Jesus, when we stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, that's going to be what's at play. It's not going to be what you've done or what you didn't do so much as it, it, it can be just summed as obedience. Were you obedient? Were you faithful? That's going to be the key. So this man has been made from blind to now he can see. And now some people, are, if they've seen him afterwards, they're like, hey, isn't this the guy who was blind? And other people are like, it just looks like him. It's his Doppler hanger, you know. It's like it's the guy that kind of looks like him, you know. He looks like the blind guy at the pool, you know, that that sits there and begs on the street. But it's not, it's not really him. It's the other. It's somebody else. You know, which brings the question: Like, well, well, who would it have have been? You know, because people around here kind of know who everybody else is. You know, so. Um, you know, that's a question, but it's, it's something that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that someone could be blind from, from birth and then, and then see again. And then they asked him, and he kept saying, I'm the guy. I'm the one. It was me. Like, I promise you, it was me. I was the one who was blind. And they said, well, how then were your eyes open? said, this man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. In verse 12, he said, they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought the man, verse 13, to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And they said to him, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. So, let's stop stop there for a minute um, and, and get that scene where the Pharisees are, are now seeing him and you know they're having a disagreement among themselves. Again, you know, the, the glory of God is, is being put on display, and throughout the book of John, we've seen this, uh, the Pharisees rejecting Jesus in most part, with, you know, the very notable exception of Nicodemus. Um, we know that some of the, the, the leading priests and everything in, in the book of Acts become, um, become believers, but at this point, there's just a lot of antagonism, and Jesus is, you know, pushing the point. Jesus is intentionally pushing the point with this, you know, with, with the Pharisees. Because, make no mistake about it, he didn't have to do it on the Sabbath. He didn't have to do it on, on Saturday, the, the, the day of, of rest. He could have done it on Friday. 
He could have done it on a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Thursday. Or Friday, again a Friday. But no, he does it on the Sabbath. Specifically to to put a point of decision that they have to make where it's going to be you know, a, a wedge where they have to decide, am I going forward or against? Am I going forward or against? Am I for Jesus? Am I against Jesus? And at this point, you know, the Pharisees start to to divide among themselves and to bicker saying, well, this, this couldn't be from God because he broke the Sabbath and it has to be because he's doing good. And so they have a, a conflict with one another. But again, remember... Um, that that God made the Sabbath as a blessing and as a benefit for humans. He did not make humans for the Sabbath. There's an order of things. And the Pharisees were also, we know, hypocritical because if one of their animals had fallen into the ditch, they would help their animal out um, you know, on the Sabbath day and do, quote-unquote, that work. Um, but to them, you know, it's kind of like they were missed. You know, they missed the point in, in that situation. It seemed like, uh, you know, they, they treated uh, animals better than they did humans. Um, and sometimes that cultural trend comes comes back and forth. Um, and, and people will uh, be more upset about... And, and it's again, it's, it's obviously very wrong. Nobody should mistreat an animal. That's a very terrible, terrible thing to do. Um, I'm not minimizing that. But you have people who will get upset about... In animal suffering unnecessarily, but not upset about humans suffering unnecessarily. It's a mistake, you know, misorder of things. You can be upset about both, but certainly have to be more upset about humans um, being un- unnecessarily suffering. So this man, he's like, well, who is he? He's like, well, you know, Jesus is a prophet. And we don't see him yet have a full understanding of who Jesus is in terms of you know being being God. And he, he gives um, a positive answer toward Jesus, certainly, but not he doesn't have a full understanding yet. Verse 18, then the Jews, the Jews then did not believe it of him. They that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now he sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now this is important. So they bring the man's parents. They get you know the testimony that this is indeed the one who had been born blind and can now see. But the parents are unwilling to take a firm stand with Jesus. Why? Because they were afraid. The religious leaders had already agreed that whoever said he was the Christ, that means he is the anointed one. He is the, the Messiah. He is the promised one. From, uh, he is the one fulfilling the prophecy of the, of the Old Testament. Because 
if you agreed that he was the Christ, then um, you know you have to follow him. And then if, if, if everybody's following him, then they're not going to be following the Pharisees anymore. Or if the Pharisees were going to follow him, they knew that their system had to completely change. And they didn't want to give up their power, and they didn't want to give up their wealth in order to be in the truth. They'd rather stay in the law, but maintain their order, their power, and their wealth. And so they said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, so now a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The blind man answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they reviled him. And said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as this man, for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing. That you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? So they put him out. So it's kind of interesting here, as the Pharisees uh, press the issue with this man who was blind that can now see, you know, they provoke him, and he then responds... In, in such a you know a really wise way, you know he he be, you know his allegiance to Jesus grows as the opposition against Jesus increases, and we see him moving more towards true faith in Jesus. Hey, listen, folks, for those who really want to know the truth and really want to follow God, persecution oftentimes will move a person towards Jesus, not away from him. We see that all over the world. When people are like, you can't follow Jesus, the church tends to grow. When, in a society, it's really easy for the church... The church tends to acquiesce and to normalize to the culture around it and to make all sorts of compromises about what our our standards for right and wrong are and becomes pretty complacent about sharing the good news of Jesus and sharing the message that Jesus is king and he will reign as king and and he'd be lord of lord overall. So... With that being said, this man uh, is now accused of being a disciple, and I think he's starting to think, "Well, maybe I am." <laughs> you know, and that's a uh, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool things, the thing. And it, but it cost him something. You know, they put him out of the synagogue, and you know where we're sitting today. That might not feel like all that big of a deal because. 
You know, that's not our, our culture. But, you know, when, when everything in your life from when you were a little kid, you know, revolved around the synagogue and that community that revolved around the synagogue, to be thrown out of that and to not be able to participate that in the normal ways anymore is a really big deal. And, and we need to remember that. You know, when, when people, um, you know, leave Mormonism or leave Hinduism or, you know, leave Islam to become followers of Jesus, because it's really clear, folks, I mean, you can't, you can't follow Jesus and still be in something else. You know, there's a, there's a point of decision that is, that is made there. But when people do that, it is, they are losing a lot. It is a huge sacrifice that is being made that if you grew up, maybe not even in a Christian home, but you grew up in a society where, you know, Christian things were generally accepted as okay or not bad, you you don't know what that sacrifice is like. We don't don't know what the the pain and everything of, of all that that was given up. But those who have experienced that certainly do know the the consequence of it. But regardless of where you came from, there's no doubt that following Jesus is worth it. He's worth any cost, whether your cost was small or your cost was great. There is cost. And everybody is paying a certain cost. Let's not forget that as well. Because if you surrender to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, you know, you're my savior and and you're my king. Well, you are surrendering something. And that is kingship over your own life. You are leaving the throne of your own heart and you're asking Jesus to go and sit on that throne. And and that is, there is a cost to that. If we take following Jesus seriously, it is going to cost us. And at certain times in our lives, it's going to cost us more. And Jesus told us to take up our cross and to follow him. And that implies that there is cost. What cost are we willing to pay? So verse 35 said, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What did Jesus say to him? You know, you've seen him. He's the one talking to you. Basically, you know, Jesus is saying that he's the one that, and, and the blind man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And again, this can only be one of two things. This is either proper worship and it is right and it is good or it is blasphemy. And it is wrong. It is evil. It would be evil. If Jesus is not God, it's evil for for Jesus to say that he is Lord. And if Jesus is not God, it's evil for this man to worship him. Listen, folks, today we've come to worship Jesus And if we come to worship Him, if He is not who He says He is, if He is not the Savior and King of the universe, then what we are doing is is evil. But if He is, 
then what we are doing is is good, it is right, it is true, it is holy, it is loving, it is just, it is everything that it should be. And it is that polar extreme. It's not, it can't just be quote unquote unokay. Worshiping Jesus cannot just be like, well, that's okay. It's either a tremendous evil or the greatest good. It's one of the two. Greatest evil or greatest good. And Jesus said to him, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. You see, everybody who comes to Jesus in some form of fashion, whether they use the words or not, has to acknowledge that they've been spiritually blind. Before coming to Jesus, it has to be, Lord, I, I didn't see you, you know, with spiritual eyes. I didn't see you as I should see you as my Savior and as my King and one who is worthy of worship and worthy of all. But now I see you as you are. The question like today is, can you look at Jesus and say, I see you, you are, you are truly God and you are Savior and King, holy and just. And I worship you in spirit and in truth. Like, can you say that you see the King? With spiritual eyes. That you hear him with spiritual ears. And that you acknowledge that there was a point in your past where you didn't. I didn't see clearly. I didn't see him for who he was. And then, you know, I was I was spiritually blind. Because, you know, here, it's not a mistake that the man had been born blind from birth. As Jesus commits this miracle, it wasn't somebody who had like, you know, could see and had had an accident along the way because Jesus wants us to understand that in the spiritual terms, we were born blind. It's not something that happened to us along the way that we, we, you know, accidentally fell into. You were born into sin. And again, there's a, you know, a, a, a time of accountability for each person based on how they mature and their capabilities and, and those sorts of things. Um, so I'm not talking about you know little ones being judged harshly, but what I am talking about is that you aren't born seeing clearly Jesus. You are born blind spiritually, and you have to be made to see. Your eyes have to be opened spiritually. And then those, notice this, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we sin, your sins remain. And, and what did Jesus say there is that it's the pride, it's the arrogance, it's the saying, it's the person who says, well, I can see this fine without Jesus. That will maintain someone as being blind. And in these days, those who were blind were those who generally followed the Pharisees because the you know it was the blind leading the blind. Right? That's what Jesus you know, Jesus says that the blind lead the blind. You know, where, you know, you're going to have trouble. That's a paraphrase, but you know, the blind leading the blind is trouble. 
So those who can say, you know, well, I can see spiritually just fine without Jesus, remain blind and remain in their sin. You see, and, and there's all sorts of folks like that. I mean, it's, it plays out differently, you know, in our culture. But there's so many people will say, well, you know, I'm a spiritual person. And I feel, you know, connected, you know, to the universe or to God or to whatever. You know, when I, when I take a hike, when I'm out in nature and, and these things. Okay? You know, you should feel something when you're out in nature. Because you're in God's creation. It should spark something in you. When you, when you. If you sit underneath the stars on a clear night, you know, up in the mountains and you can see so many of them. That should spark something. When, when you observe, you know, something as simple as a grasshopper move along the ground and leap. It should spark something that the, all of creation, the heavens and earth, declare the glory of God. But folks, everybody needs more than that. Because that's not going to give you a personal relationship with God. That's not going to... That's not going to take you from someone who was blind spiritually to somebody who can see spiritually. That just makes you a little bit aware that there is more than you and something bigger out there. But that's like a that's like a starting point. But if you say, well, because I have the starting point, I can see everything and I don't need anything else and I don't need Jesus. Well, that person you know, is remaining in, in darkness and is remaining blind. And it's that pride that says, I don't need Jesus. Is, is, that's what, what brings judgment. You know, it, God's judgment, you know, people have to pay for their, their sins, but whether they pay for their sins or not is only dependent on one thing, as, as John chapter 3 taught us. Those who believe in Him are not condemned. And those who do not believe in His name are condemned. Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's, that's what the gospel teaches us. Everything hinges on Jesus. If you have Him, you're not blind and you can see. And then you can grow from there. But if you don't have Him, you're still blind and you can't see and you can't grow. And that's the reality of, of the situation. So it's a wonderful chapter. I encourage you to go back and read it again. John chapter 9. Um, you know, ask that question Do I see Jesus? Uh, you see the cost that the blind man that could, you know, was made to be able to see. We see the cost that he then had to pay to, to really be a follower of Jesus. We see him go from a progression of not really knowing about Jesus to meeting, you know, to, to being introduced to Jesus. To then thinking that Jesus is a prophet, to then believing that he is the Christ. We see this progression in him as, as he gets more information and as Jesus reveals himself to this man, you know, that he takes each step along the way and he comes to a full faith and he worships Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's what we want to do now. Derek's going to come back and um, lead us in a couple of songs and just encourage us to quiet our hearts and to worship. If you brought um, your communion, your bread and cup uh, with you this morning and can take it, uh, we encourage you to do so. The scripture says to examine our hearts and to
confess our sins. So Derek will uh, lead us in that, and then um, I'll come back and give us a couple of announcements uh, before we, we close out the service this morning. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you as we take the bread and the cup this morning. We give great thanks, dear God, for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And though we were once blind, that now we can see because of Jesus. And what a wonderful one to be able to see. And we look forward to that day, Jesus, when we see you face to face and all is revealed to us. And we will see perfectly. Lord, we're thankful to see you even now. And as we take the bread and the cup to humble our hearts before you and to give you praise. Dear Jesus, we love you. You are precious. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.